Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with instant analysis of 2021 WWE SummerSlam. That's right, getting over is back once again, and we are here just minutes after WWE's second biggest pay-per-view of the year went off the air to break down every single thing that happened on the show. We're talking match results, grades, returns, surprises. The Silver King Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Benini are both here to break it all down for you. We have a loaded show. So much happened on this card that went four hours and 10 minutes. It was massive that I don't want to waste much time at the top. A reminder very quick, what you need to remember about the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. It is all about the five here. That means five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, please. And do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. I also want to quickly thank everyone who contributed to the show. We hit our goal. Our hosting is covered for the next year. Plus, we got a little extra in the bank that maybe we'll use for some special things. I just want to appreciate all of you. I'll do it individually on Tuesday's show, but I want to express my appreciation for supporting and continuing to support the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Now, this is an instant analysis pod, so for any first-time listeners, let me key you in on how we start these shows. We crack open a cold one. We don't do this on every episode. We do it very special for instant analysis. The Silver King today is drinking out of Dew Claw Brewing from Maryland, a pastryarchy, Mexican hot chocolate, brown ale. I've never had it before. It's everything I like. Mexican hot chocolate is like, one of my favorite things, it's a brown ale. Duclaw Brewing is a great brewery. Very excited for it. Chris, what do you have over there? I have a truly hard seltzer. So I went to the store today. <laughs> okay. And there was a lot there. That's and there, they good. had a ton of this. I've seen a lot of commercials for it. I figure I might as well give it a shot. This is the blueberry flavor. It actually smells pretty good. Let's see how it tastes. Man, like everything you just said is stuff I don't like. Like hard seltzer I can deal with, but Ooh, maybe good. give me a watermelon or well, yeah, know, it's strawberry. Blue, it's blueberry. It's actually really good. This is good. Cool. This is actually really good. I'm glad you like it. This is delicious, but it's not a beer I should be drinking while talking because it's spicy. So this is going to get interesting. This show, this show is going to be as interesting as SummerSlam was, I hope. Uh, but not with the negativity, hopefully. The good parts. Yeah. So... We got a long show. We got plenty to talk about. I want to get right into it, Chris. Before we talk about the pre-show poll, before we do the instant analysis of SummerSlam, just off the top here, I kind of want to say, I don't know that I've ever left a WWE pay-per-view feeling the way I feel tonight. (laughs) It was a mix of, holy shit, wow, incredible moments, and a mix of, I cannot believe they just did that in a negative way. like. Holy shit, what are these guys doing? Who is booking WWE? And it didn't necessarily occur, Chris, in the SmackDown to Raw juxtaposition that we normally get, where it's like, SmackDown's great, Raw is terrible. Uh, how are how is WWE the same company booking both shows? Because one of the things that happened, and we'll, you know, I'm alluding to it, we'll talk about it later, happened on the SmackDown side. So I don't know, man. I just came out of this show. Feeling strange. It was great. Parts of it were terrible. Um, I guess at the end of the day, I mean, I don't want to give it away, but we'll talk in our post-show poll. I think it was a good pay-per-view, but I don't know. I just, I've never felt this way 
coming out of a, a special wrestling event before where I've I'm completely mixed in my mind of what I actually thought about it. You know, it has been a while since we had one of these stadium shows that are a single night in WWE. You have to go all the way back to either the Rum- the Rumble 2020 or WrestleMania 2019 because that's the feeling I got from this. It felt like one of those WrestleManias where there's a lot of good stuff and it starts off really hot and then they just get in their own way and have to pull out some stupid stuff and it really kills the middle of the show. You feel like you're dragging by the end and they need a big main event or something to finish to get you back up because... Man, there was a lot of good stuff in this show. And then there was a lot of completely unnecessary bad stuff in this show. <laughs> right. And, and you know, they were so good at pay-per-views in the Thunderdome era because they just had to get in and out. Shows were less than three hours long. They didn't give you the stuff that didn't matter. This was them going back to their bread and butter of old. And it's a real. it ends up being, like you said, a real mixed bag at the end when you put it all together. It felt like one of those WrestleManias, except that a lot of the WrestleManias recently... Uh, the, the single night stadium shows, they're great when they start. And you're like, oh, my God, this is going to be an all time WrestleMania. Yes. And then it falls apart at the end. You, this, yes. was, this wasn't you, you, that. It had the same elements of that, but it was mixed throughout the entire show. You texted me about an hour into the sh- hour and a half into the show. You said, this is a good show. And right when you said that is when things started to turn a little bit. <laughs> I jinxed it. Things started I fully to turn jinxed a little it. bit. And yeah, and we'll get into it. So yeah. Yeah, so let's let's stop wasting time and let's get into it. The way we start these instant analysis podcasts after we, of course, crack a cold one is we discuss the pre-show poll. Now going into SummerSlam, uh, vintage Chris Vanini, his expectation grade was a B plus. The Silver King, you know, I think it's, I'm going to be proven out to be a little bit more correct. Uh, I came in with a B. Um, now you guys, the fans, the listeners, you guys got to vote as well on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast. And this is how it broke down. 26% said A, 64% said B. So that's 90% A to B. And I should always clarify, we have a full mix of fans that follow and listen to us. WWE, AEW, NXT. Not everyone likes the same thing. So our pre-show polls are generally representative of, Chris, what you and I think. And maybe just shared consciousness at this point with everyone listening to us. Uh, 7% C and 3% D to F. So 90%. Thought this was going to be a very good to good show, but they did agree more with you than me because with 26% A to me, that rounds up to a B plus. So I think we were all of a similar mindset entering the show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've been on such a good run with pay-per-views. You, you figured it'd be a pretty good one, but there were a lot of matches on this card that you weren't super excited for. And that's what was kind of the question. Absolutely. Now let's get into the WWE SummerSlam instant analysis. The way we do this is we start with the main event of the show and then we go down the card in descending order. I usually say it's by importance, but it's really whatever, you know, fits my fancy in the given night. It's it's what I want to talk about in the order from what I feel to be the most important or best or most exciting to the lowest part of the card, what didn't matter as much. Before we get into the first match, I did want to say... Chris, the set for SummerSlam was interesting. I presume they didn't go with a huge setup with a stage and a ramp and all that stuff because of preseason Raiders football. But because it was in a football stadium, I found what they did to be slightly underwhelming. That kind of small entrance around a corner, it works for the Royal Rumble, where you want to keep the focus of the action in the ring. But for a SummerSlam or a WrestleMania at a stadium, 
I want a bigger set with more pageantry. They had an entire end zone that was completely open where they could have built the stage. I didn't really get it. I did like the screen behind the fans, but there was no pyro and it was a very small entrance that didn't really do a lot. So I actually thought WWE in a rare uh, move sold itself short in terms of in-stadium presentation, though I did find the atmosphere to be captivating. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those Royal Rumble entrances, which which generally are underwhelming. But I did like the video board behind the fans, kind of like you get at some of the, some of the outdoor football stadiums and stuff like that. So right. it, for the most part, it was OK. They did a lot of stadium shots, you know, wide shots to see everything to, to make it feel that way. So um, it was it was decent. It wasn't at a WrestleMania level, which SummerSlam isn't. But but it was it was more in that Royal Rumble feel. Yes, it felt more like a Royal Rumble from that standpoint. It did. All right, let's get into the matches. So we're going to start with the Universal Championship. Roman reigns against John Cena. The way we do this is we talk about what happened on SmackDown that's relevant. We move on to the match itself. So SmackDown, a lot happened for a couple matches. I'm going to breeze through it as quickly as I possibly can. I promise. Uh, Reigns and Cena are in the ring. Paul Heyman reminded everyone that Reigns is undefeated since returning to WWE. Cena said his goal is to win the title, take it to the movies, let Reigns be a failure. And next time he shows up, it's going to be at WrestleMania. He said Reigns' ego is out of control. He needs to get brought back down to earth. Cena said he's not there to promote movies. He's there to demote Reigns' ass. Cena threatened to win the title a record 17th time. And Reigns basically brought up smashing his recent opponent so bad that WWE releases them, referring to Daniel Bryan, who of course wasn't released, uh, Braun Strowman and The Fiend, both who were released. He said he could do the Hollywood thing if he wanted. Reigns then raised the stakes and said he'll leave as Universal Champion. He'll leave SummerSlam as Universal Champion or leave WWE altogether. They shook hands. Reigns tried an attitude adjustment, but Cena rolled him up for what would have been a one, two, three. Chris, I thought this was a tremendous end to the go-home show, but the added stipulation coming into this match, this is what we really need to talk about. It seemed to give away the finish to the match unnecessarily even though we came in expecting Reigns to win anyway. So I just didn't know why they actually did that. Yeah, we, we talked about this, oh shoot, what, Friday night? Feels like forever ago, doesn't it? <laughs> How many shows are we going to do this week, man? Friday night and then in the, the live pre-Twitter show we did as well. Yeah, I, that was my first reaction was, why give why give that away? We know Roman's going to win now. I would have flipped it and had Cena has to win or he leaves WWE and because we know he's going to take a step back and you can do whatever to bring him back at some point. So yeah, I was disappointed in that. Exactly. Now, getting to SummerSlam, Cena had an incredible entrance. He got a new shirt and logo with the Super Mario Brothers 3, uh, the Mario flying, you know, with the raccoon ears. He had a new Titan Tron that was the same as the back of that t-shirt, which showed all 16 championships and the dates he won them. I thought that yeah, was awesome. So cool. That is but so what cool, I, the back But of Chris, what I realized before the match even began is WWE is not making a brand new t-shirt with exactly 16 title wins on it if the dude is about to win his 17th title in the same night. Now, I know you thought already this, we knew the, the result of the match that Reigns was going to win. I know you just said that the stipulation they added at SmackDown made it clear. But if that both of those things didn't make it clear, this definitely did. It was sold as an NFT. There's only 500 of them. So chances are anyone listening, you're not going to get it unless you want to spend $1,000 for the shirt, the NFT, and this entire package of merchandise that is going to come along with it. But Chris, when I saw that, if I'm a fan and I'm not a 
smart in tune fan or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just fully into the kayfabe. And I see that WWE's just created a shirt with 16 titles on it. I say to myself, there's no way they did that. And now they're going to make it 17, 20 minutes later. I, I agree, but it's, it would have also been certainly possible that they just make one for him with 16 and they have actually prepared shirts with 17 to give Maybe. out. I, I, I don't know. I, I think you're generally right, but I feel like it would have been an easy swerve as well. But to me, the stipulations sold it more than anything else. For sure. Now let's get into the match. And there was some post-match that we will talk about separately afterward. So this did have a big fight feel, Chris. The bell rang at 11.41 p.m. Eastern. So I'm not sure about those reports that SummerSlam was going to end expeditiously, but maybe that changed when Manny Pacquiao's opponent dropped out of the match. Anyway, Cena tried a bunch of pinning combinations early for two counts. Then Reigns absolutely dominated him inside and out. Reigns broke the fourth wall and looked in directly into the camera, telling movie executives he's sorry about what he's doing to Cena, but he deserves it because WWE is owned by Roman Reigns. Then Reigns taunted Cena about having scouted his five moves of doom. Cena came back with his signature moves, but Reigns countered five-knuckle shuffle into a guillotine. Cena reversed that into a jackknife cover, but Reigns kicked out and hit a Superman punch. Cena then hit the five-knuckle shuffle and an attitude adjustment, but Reigns kicked out legitimately at 2.9. Reigns hit the drive-by dropkick outside, but Cena caught him running for a spear with an AA crashing through the announce table. Cena gave another perfect kickout at 2.9. Cena tried a high-risk move, but Reigns countered it into a powerbomb for a near fall. There were counters and counters that ended with a Superman punch. Reigns ran into the post as Cena dodged a spear. Cena grabbed him off the ropes and hit an avalanche super AA. And Reigns still kicked out, this time at 2.99. The entire crowd was on its feet screaming. And I believe that's the first kickout of a Super AA in history, but I'm not 100% sure. Cena mocked Reigns with the ooh-ah. He tried a spear, but Reigns countered it with a kick. They traded haymakers. Reigns hit two Superman punches and screamed, I am WWE, before hitting a spear for the clean one, two, three to end what I thought was a superb match. Simply put, Chris, this match was pitch perfect. It put Reigns over exceptionally strong. It made him look as dominant as ever. In nine days, it'll be 365 days since he's been Universal Champion. Obviously, that's an entire year. And they are doing everything they possibly can and did everything they possibly could do to make him look like a beast. This was tough to grade because I was so high on the Seth Rollins edge match earlier in the show, but I'm actually going to give them identical grades, 4.75 stars and an A plus. I loved every second of this match. Yeah. I mean, both of those matches, I talked about this on our pre-show. I was curious if they were going to go back to the WWE style of a long drawn out beginning like we got with Roman and Edge, Mm -hmm. Um, something they didn't do in the Thunderdome era because there wasn't a crowd to build up. And frankly, I, I, I did like that. So it's kind of an adjustment getting back to watching that style. But when you do that, you have to hit your client you have to hit the, the climax of the match and i didn't quite feel roman edge did that but this one did Th- this one they hit the big spots and like with another match we'll get to the kickouts by roman the 2.99s 
that was the difference between a good match and a great match because Absolutely. when you have those false finishes, they have to be really, really false finishes, and 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 they got that. You know, this was supposed to. You know, Roman was. I, I thought it dragged really with all the 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 shit talking Roman was doing, but but he's he's good at that, and in the end, yeah, it, it was a great match at the end, and and we 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 finished it off with a pin. Uh, as well, not a submission, which I like. So good clean, stuff. no bullshit, too. Yes, yeah. This that, that's the thing. R- Roman, he's not. Gen- I, I, obviously, there were some matches that came up for the, but for the most part of this year long run, he's winning them clean, and that's what makes a good heel. Is that when when the guys just generally write about things and what Roman says, he backs up generally clean, and that's good. It's pretty interesting because he had a lot of help to beat Kevin Owens three different right. times, right. but ever since then. Yeah, he's won completely clean and, and been built like a total monster. And this was a little bit of a surprise because even though John Cena and Roman Reigns are indeed big, meaty men, let's not get it wrong. I didn't think necessarily that we were going to have a match that was no bread, no water, just meat. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. And that's what we got. And if that, Chris was not enough. Oh, boy. There's a lot of beef out here. There was a lot of beef that suddenly came into Allegiant Stadium. After the match, Roman Reigns is celebrating. Arms in the air. The man owns WWE. Brock Lesnar's music hits. And this dude emerges on the entrance ramp looking like a Viking god. (laughs) shaved head with a ponytail pulled tightly back. He's got the beard. He's wearing jeans and a black shirt. We saw a picture of Brock Lesnar that I tweeted out a couple months ago. I think you Mm -hmm. retweeted it after SummerSlam where this guy is literally chopping up beef with a couple butchers. I don't even know what state it was in. And he looked like this. And I think you and I- Holding up the rack of meat like it's a championship Like it's belt. a championship next, title, yeah. Next to the two butchers who are, I actually tweeted it out again tonight, but he's got a meat championship, essentially. And, and I think I remarked to you on the podcast, or maybe it was on Twitter or whatever. I, I think I said, this is the Brock I want. Because the Brock yes. that we've had for so many years is the same dude, right? It's Eat, Sleep, Repeat, Suplex City, blah, 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 Paul Heyman. Sometimes just a simple change in look will do wonders for someone. And this version of Brock Lesnar felt fresh. He looked like a Norse warrior or something like that. And the street clothes helped. But it wasn't just Brock. It was the way Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns sold for Brock. Paul Heyman is crouching in the corner, squeezing the Universal Championship and screaming. Okay, Reigns is looking at him and giving Brock Lesnar the same look Brock Lesnar gave Keith Lee at the Royal Rumble. He's shaking his head in disbelief, like, how is this happening? Like, who is, like, who's this and why is this happening now? He's, and he starts backing up into the corner before Brock even gets into the ring. They have a face-to-face stare down. Brock's talking shit right in Reigns' face. And Reigns slinks away out of the ring and leaves, looking terrified and scared that he seems to have beaten every single person he could possibly beat. As I said, Daniel Bryan, Braun Strowman, The Fiend, Kevin Owens, etc. John Cena. 
but the nemesis, the guy that he could not get over. And even when he did, it was done in a way to basically hide fans booing. <laughs> this MFR is back. I thought it was an epic end to the pay-per-view. It was one of two returns that we got in the night. And we'll talk about the other one later. It's kind of tough to do it out of order. But this is the one that I'm sure was 100% planned for SummerSlam. You're in Las Vegas, okay? You know what is possible and what can happen. Uh, And and the, the type of reaction you want to elicit out of your fans and out of the crowd. This, I believe, was planned months ago. And it popped me massively. I loved the finish to SummerSlam. Oh, I, I popped huge without a doubt. And I'm sure we'll get the reporting in relatively soon to figure it out. But I actually don't think this was planned. I think this is I think this is a reaction to CM Punk. When you see Brock with that hair, something that Vince has never really wanted on him, and you see that what they had been doing with Finn Balor on SmackDown when it really appeared like they were setting him up to be the next challenger, I think this was a I think this was an audible. And and because they wanted to to end with a more impactful moment to get the momentum back on their side with two big returns on this show. I, I the other one we don't know either. We'll talk about that in a minute. But this is going to give us the Brock Roman match we've always wanted, where everybody wants to wants to be Roman, and it's going to make for an interesting dynamic. But where is this going to take place? Yeah, so WWE announced, and I was going to segue it in, you know, later. WWE announced what we already knew was coming: the return to Saudi Arabia for Blood Money in the Sand six in October. And yes, Chris, the thought that went through my head also was, please do not tell me he's returning be- for that specific show. And because look. Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar is big money. No doubt about it. But let's talk about the schedule. Extreme Rules is next month. They could do it on that show, but that's not the type of show that you have Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns. No. The next month, October, we know that Crown Jewel is happening. But there's probably going to be another pay-per-view, I would assume. that That's what WWE usually does. And whatever that pay-per-view is, is going to be secondary to crown jewel, at least in terms of match card and and storyline building. And and that's why these shows, in addition to it's sucking that WWE goes to Saudi Arabia for all the political reasons and all the social reasons that we've talked about on this podcast and my other podcasts for years, it ruins WWE's already shaky booking by stuffing another card in and shoving legends on the card that you don't really want to see for the most part. In this case, You could get a Roman Reigns-Brock Lesnar match on a Thursday afternoon, which is not something I want at all. I want this match to happen. I want it to happen at a major pay-per-view. But the truth is, between now and the end of the year, there aren't any major pay-per-views except Survivor Series. And that, historically, recently, has been brand versus brand warfare. So, yeah, I actually think it might happen at Crown Jewel. And that completely ruins the excitement. But... I don't want to put the cart before the horse. I really just want to say tonight, it was awesome. For sure. But that's also another reason why I wonder if this was a late audible to get Brock, even if it was a month earlier than you wanted. 
to make the appearance at the end to get some people talking and some momentum back on your side after what happened with AEW. I might be wrong. I, I'm sure we'll figure it out or there'll be stuff on the dirt sheet soon, but uh, I, I'm not normally one of those uh, theorists on these things. I don't think everything WWE is doing is in reaction to AEW, but that is something I wonder for the timing and for how Brock looked. I don't, I do not mind being proven wrong. I just, don't think that's the case. Like, I think this was the chances, if you rank them, of, of why this was done, right? Uh, I think the most likely is for Crown Jewel. The second most likely is to pop fans at SummerSlam have a really big return at a huge event in Las Vegas. And I think third would be to counter AEW. And I, because I just don't think that Vince and WWE need to do that necessarily. They all they already had a huge show with John Cena on it. I don't think they're that worried about CM Punk in general to go and say, okay, Brock will give you $20 million. Come out of your sabbatical that you're taking up in the mountains or in Saskatchewan, wherever he is, and, and just come do SummerSlam and, and Crown Jewel. My assumption is they had this completely planned. Now look, again, like you said, Maybe reports will come out that'll prove me wrong. And if so, I'll say as much. You guys know I'll do a mea culpa on the show anytime I'm wrong. I don't, I don't mind being wrong. We're speculating here. This is our job. But I, I don't see this as a reaction to that. In fact, I don't think anything WWE did tonight was a reaction to that. I don't think, at all. I don't think so. I don't think the other stuff, I, I, I don't. I, I just, I wonder, and I, I mentioned this on the Friday show, but all the stuff from ES, like ESPN tweeting out about CM Punk's return and stuff like that, I think that's the kind of thing that gets WWE's attention. And we'll see. Like I said, we'll, I'm sure we'll find out in the coming days if it was planned or not. But it's interesting. E- either way. But that should just not happened, was, and they knew CM Punk was coming back for at least right. a month, if not more. I'm not saying, I'm not saying he called him Brock up like last night course, and said, hey, can course. you get here? <laughs> but but e- either way, this is either w- whether it was a reaction or not, this is exciting. We have gotten CM exciting, Punk, yes. Becky Lynch, and Brock Lesnar returns in 24 hours. I, I know a lot of AEW fans want to say WWE is, WWE is dying, but this is what I'm saying, but it's a great time to be a wrestling fan because is. there is a lot going on in both companies. It, it's good stuff. So let's move on to the what I, this entire week, uh, entire month, said was the co-main event of this show, and that was Seth Rollins versus Edge. We'll start with SmackDown. Edge opened with a legit bang, sat in a chair uh, under a spotlight. He recalled Rollins nearly paralyzing him in 2014. He says he knows a curb stomp can still end his career, but he won't, you know, eat up the mind games. Edge called Rollins an all-timer, and he said he's forcing him to enter his dark side. His goal was not to beat Rollins, but to break him, humble him, and burn him down. And Chris, I thought it was a promo of the year contender at the start of SmackDown. I didn't love it at the time. It seemed a little random because Seth has been the Seth has been the protagonist of this story. I mean, he's the one who's had a beef with Edge and he hasn't actually done anything to Edge yet. He, by, by constantly bringing up 2014, that, that was years ago. He hit him in the head so with the camera. Quick. Right. But I, so at the time, but at the time, <laughs> he, cost him a, he cost him the Universal Championship. Right. But I, I'm month. saying this feud started because Seth's got a bone to pick with Edge. And um, so at the time, I was like, well, it seemed a little bit random, but they built on it later in the show. And and then again, at SummerSlam. And looking back now, I agree with you that it's from up, up for promo of the year. 
Rollins came out later in SmackDown in all white. He mocked Edge for making excuses. The crowd kept getting to him. They were really chanting hard for Edge. All of a sudden, the light shut off. There were red flashing lights. Edge appears on the Titan Tron with fangs in his mouth in a full callback as the brood music plays and he drops the classic line, beware, take care, because the freaks come out at night. And then really dark red blood fell from the ceiling, covering Rollins head to toe. It popped me so hard. The crowd went wild for it. It was just straight up awesome. It's the type of stuff that WWE needs to lean into more, Chris. And they did it again at the entrances for SummerSlam because Rollins himself actually had a great entrance. Mm -hmm. It was really, really exciting. In fact, his theme song is growing on me. But it, it is growing. On, it, it, yeah, Seth is growing on me. I still don't like the burn it down because it reminds you of the other one. But it is it is growing on me. It is getting better. But Edge's entrance at SummerSlam was oh, outstanding. It started the- with the exact same brood theme for the first half. Ooh. He starts walking down this endless ramp. And the ramp is so long that it bas- he basically had two separate entrances. He gets yes. halfway and his regular music hits and the crowd goes wild. So he got two entrances in one. And the only negative, and I said this earlier because it was like this all of SummerSlam, is that there was no pyro to be found. I didn't understand why they didn't have pyro in the stadium. But besides that, the brood stuff, the blood falling from the ceiling, Rollins in the white suit, Rollins entrance at SummerSlam, the 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 way they surrounded this all-time match, this, this dream match that we've all wanted, they did an incredible job. It's the Maybe the best thing they actually did going into Survivor, into a SummerSlam. Brood entrance, SummerSlam. That was the moment of the night for me. Even more than Brock's return, even more than Becky Lynch's return. Brood entrance popped me more than anything. I rewatched that thing like 10 times tonight. I sent it to my brother. I love it. That is a top five entrance. Uh, The brood entrance is a top five entrance and entrance theme in wrestling history. And I was so excited for, 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 a for a, for a a team, not a faction that was together for, I think less than a year, they have left such a legacy that edge is hall of famer back in the main event at WrestleMania. Christian is the impact champion, just beat Kenny Omega. But the brood entrance is what we go crazy for. Yep. That's a testament to how cool that was. And shout out to Gangrel, who deserves more credit than Absolutely. he gets. Because that was his gimmick first. Do not forget uh, that Gangrel was a big part of that. But oh my God, brood entrance. That, that, that's up there for moment of the year for me in wrestling in general. So yeah, he got two of the coolest entrances in one going into this match. Yeah, and back-to-back nights, too, with two brood entrances. And it was. Yes. And when I saw him come out, I, I so, okay, I just want to clarify something. So Chris and I, on two occasions, both picked Seth Rollins to win this match. But what I'm about to say is totally true. When the brood entrance happened and he came out with it, meaning tonight at SummerSlam, not yesterday at uh, SmackDown, I wrote an entire tweet and almost clicked, I CC'd <laughs> you on it, and I almost clicked the button that said, holy shit, brood entrance, changing my pick to edge, but I didn't send it. Cause I didn't think it was fair. Like we made the picks very publicly. Right. Um, but I legitimately, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, edge is winning. There's no way he's losing this match coming out to the brood entrance. 
And, and, he had, and he had the sunglasses too to go with it. He had everything. All, it was, all it was out. Awesome. It was really cool. I'm going to go yeah, watch I'm, it again. We're marking out for it. Like I legitimately <laughs> marked out for it. It was awesome. Okay, let's get to the match. So Rollins pushed Edge into a post early and completely dominated. He missed a stomp, but hit an RVD style five-star frog splash. Like he did the mannerisms and everything for a near fall. Edge finally got offense with a really sick avalanche swinging neck breaker. He got a near fall after an execution. Rollins caught Edge with a superplex and Falcon Arrow for a near fall. Rollins missed another stomp and Edge countered a pedigree into his own wife's glam slam, which was one of my favorite moments of the entire show, actually. Uh, Rollins snapped Edge's neck backwards over the middle rope and missed a third stomp on the ring apron. Edge drove him into the post and hit a tope suicida spear to the outside in another ridiculous spot. Rollins later countered a spear directly into a pedigree for another near fall. Then he missed a corkscrew moonsault and Edge immediately caught him with a spear but Rollins kicked out and delivered two forearms to the back of his head. Edge rolled over to catch a stomp. He put Rollins in an edge educator for the first time, I think, in years. I don't think he ever did that to Randy Orton in their feud. Uh, Rollins escaped and Edge applied the crossface. He slammed Rollins' head into the mat a dozen times and locked in the crossface a second time, forcing Rollins to finally tap. This match, Chris, was outstanding by any measure, the wrestling, the storytelling, the psychology, it shows that WWE can do professional wrestling right if it really wants to. It just simply doesn't do it enough for our taste. This is a match I will go back and watch many times in the future, including tonight before I go to bed. You can pick your adjective. It was top tier. It was an all-time instant classic. Whether you go 4.75 stars or five stars, I don't really care. It was an A-plus match. Another five minutes, this thing may have gone next level. I loved every single second about Edge and Seth Rollins. Adjective, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. They weren't here to play. That was, that was, an, it was another match that kind of got off to that WWE-style slow start a bit. But again, it really picked up. All the big moments hit. Loved it. I'm surprised. They had Rollins tap out. I mean, we we thought Rollins was going to win, like I said. I was surprised they had him tap out. Uh, it was an interesting way to end it. But yeah, loved Edge bringing everything back. Shout out to commentary. Uh, Cole and McAfee did a great job calling out all those moves that Edge was bringing back. Yep. Um, that was important. Cole and McAfee continue to be tremendous. The best, um, best uh, commentating team in mainstream pro wrestling at the moment. Uh, so yeah, this was, this was awesome from, from beginning to end. Like you said, it's, it's the exact match you go back and watch, including that entrance. I've, again, I've watched the entrance like 10 times. I'm going to go watch it again. Probably the <laughs> match again tonight. Uh, you called it for a month. You called it for a month and said that was going to, this was going to be the match. Of the it show. was the match and, of the night. Yes. And, and you were, I, w- yeah. I was wondering if the WWE style was going to wear them da- down a bit and slow it down too much, but it, it didn't, it worked out great. I know you don't normally do match grades. You leave that to me. I am curious though, between this and Roman Reigns and John Cena, what would you grade each match on like a, you know, letter scale? I'd give this like a 4.5. Oh, or I guess you said <laughs> that's a number know. scale. Yeah, I guess it's a letter scale. <laughs> I was trying to make I, it easy for you with I, like I'd give this, grades. Yeah. I, and I'd give this an A minus. Um, I'd give Roman Cena B plus. Like B, to me, B plus is a great match that I'm probably not going to go back and watch. Oh, I'm gonna and, watch that again. And well, you you do, you rewatch matches more than I do, but but the 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 Seth Edge one is definitely one I would go back and watch. So I'm I'm minus. surprised you didn't like Seth Edge more than than that. I mean, 
I just think well, it's, to it, me, I mean, if we're at a minimum, it's a flat. At a minimum, it's a flat A. Well, I mean, I said four point five. If you, that's ninety percent. You know, that's an A minus. So I, I, if if A plus is on the board, then maybe I'd say it's an A. But but um, oh, A plus me, is definitely on the board. Of course it is. I'm, like my scale. Let me clarify what my yeah. scale is, just so you, I mean, so everyone knows. Uh, an A plus is a five or a four point seven five. An A is a four point five or a four point two five. And an A minus is a four. That's but well, okay. So I, I'm thinking of grading like when you get a test back. If, if 4.5 out of 5 is a 90%, so um, so that's an A minus. Oh, that, you're that, doing the math like that. I see yeah, what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. Gotcha. That, that's no. why I you, so using my scale, you would give it an A, is what you're saying. Okay. I'd give it, if, you say, yeah. if you give 4.5, I'm giving it 4.5. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. We're on the same similar yes. page. Okay. Again, it's not, it's nothing worth arguing about. I was just kind of curious. Yeah, 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 yeah. Usually don't do it. I wanted to see how much you liked it. That, that's all. Yeah. I, I, I hesitate to do it because I worry I get too inconsistent. I do, I do movie review grades with numbers, and sometimes I, I, I got to remember what yeah. I graded other things that I forget. Yeah. I base all of my letter grades off a number scale. And, every grade doesn't just have one number. So like you can have two different levels of an A yeah. plus, two different levels of an A. I just find that works better, but that's just how I do it. You know, um, I haven't been doing it for like 70 years, like someone else who does these number number grades. Uh, okay, let's get to clearly, easily, the second biggest story of the night, the SmackDown Women's Championship between Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks, or so we thought. Uh, on SmackDown, Belair cut a promo backstage saying she was so mad at Zelina and Carmella that she wasn't being rational and accepted two singles matches in a row on SmackDown. The first was against Zelina. She destroyed her and won with a KOD in two minutes. And then Carmella immediately attacked her. The second match was against Carmella. Belair countered a chokehold with Carmella on her back into a delayed vertical suplex. And Carmella never even touched the ground when she did that. It was crazy impressive. Belair hit a handstand moonsault for a near fall. Then she caught Carmella on the ring apron, kicked her in the head for a two count. Belair then countered next factor into a spine buster and hit the KOD for the win. The second match went like twice as long as the first. And Belair on SmackDown, Chris, looked absolutely dominant. She looked as dominant on SmackDown as Shayna Baszler did two years ago at Elimination Chamber, where she just murdered women. That's what they did for Belair on SmackDown. It took for me, Mella and Zelina firmly out of the singles division. Uh, because why would they ever get a title shot given how hard they were just beat? And Belair looked like a total beast. So coming out of SmackDown, I was like, wow, they are, I tweeted this too. I said, they are all in on Bianca Belair. I was really impressed with her booking on Friday. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been saying it for months. Like with Bianca, you got to show, don't tell. A promo is not going to get her over or, or present her to be at the star. Her winning matches and doing incredibly impressive physical feats is what will, and that's exactly what they did. So WWE advertised Bel Air Banks all the way up until after Bel Air made her entrance, despite knowing, according to Dave Meltzer, that this match has been off for eight days because Sasha Banks could not compete for what reason we do not yet know. And you and I talked about this Tuesday on the Ultimate Preview. We talked about it Friday night during our SummerSlam go-home show, and we talked about it today, uh, earlier today, on Saturday, during the live SummerSlam pre-show that we did on Twitter Spaces, and every time we said, we don't know if this match is going to happen, but if it does, this is what we expect to go down. So they announced Bel Air, she's getting a huge ovation, and I'm saying, okay, so the match is happening, all the rumors were bullshit. Then they announce 
that Sasha Banks is unable to compete. And they bring out Carmella as Belair's opponent, despite everything I just told you, getting her ass kicked 24 hours earlier and already losing to Belair three times. Mella made her entrance to absolute silence. The crowd was pissed, as they should be. I was pissed too. Now, I had a feeling it was a swerve, Chris, but given WWE is WWE, and we can't give them the benefit of the doubt, I could not ignore the possibility that it was the planned booking. And I'm wondering if that's how you felt. I, at first... Honestly, not really. And, and again, we don't normally text during shows, but you texted me again and, and it was and you said you said, wow, this is pathetic. And my first response was, let's wait a second, because they were really leaning into the disappointment. They kept they showing Bia- they kept showing Bianca's face that she was really upset. They kept talking about the crowd not being happy about it, like way more than they normally are. So it's like, I got to I'm going to hold off on my reaction. I saw Twitter blowing up in, in annoyance about this. I was like, I got to give it a minute here and see what happens. So just as all of this is settling in, WWE pulls a fast one and Becky Lynch's music hits. The crowd erupts. I can only imagine what it would have been like to be there. It sounded deafening. I obviously popped my ass off. And by the way, she looked like a million bucks. And I'm not talking about from, you know, any superficial standpoint. I'm saying as an athlete, she looked like a million dollars. The booking became obvious with Belair versus Lynch being an incredible replacement match at a huge pay-per-view. Lynch beats the shit out of Carmella, throws her into the steel steps, grabs a mic, and issues a challenge. Belair accepts, and they have a face-off with the crowd going absolutely insane. So they worked me at least a little, but up to this point, Chris, I thought this was making the best of a bad situation and honestly, doing so in as perfect a way as you possibly could. Yes, and and, and this was not a return that I thought was in response to anything because like you said, clearly there had been, there had been reports for a good week that this wasn't going to happen. So they had a, they clearly had a plan for a week for this one. And yeah, and and we get set up with this and you're like, I I wasn't sure if they were going to have a match or if they were going to just talk and that was it. And they go, Oh no, we're having a match. I was like, Oh boy, here we go. So the bell sounds and then the crowd really pops because now they know the match is real. And I did, I was like, Whoa, you know, you could feel it. It it was a very similar feeling to Banks Belair at WrestleMania, where you're like, this is just a match that we really want to see. And this one we didn't even expect. So the bell rings and they take a moment to kind of like soak it in. Becky offers to shake Belair's hand. Belair reaches out. Becky socks her in the jaw and then hits, I guess, her new finisher, the manhandle slam, a rock bottom, and pins Bianca Belair the WWE SmackDown Women's Champion for the last six months in 27 seconds. Now the crowd popped because they were shocked, but I was just shaking my head. Now Belair sold the entire thing like she was absolutely stunned and got caught and couldn't believe it, but accepted it. On one hand, look, clearly WWE knew this was their booking. And they purposely spent SmackDown on Friday 
building Bel Air as strong as they possibly could so that this loss and this booking didn't hurt her as much. That was purposeful. And I do think a lot of people are either forgetting, ignoring, or missing that they did that on Friday. Also, Becky was reportedly supposed to come back two months from now in October. So perhaps, again, benefit of the doubt here, I will give them. She wasn't ring ready. She wasn't prepared to have a long match and go. And the swerve with Mella, it did work. Now, all of that needed to be said, but none of that is an excuse for the booking. There is no way, Chris, to accept this as good. Even if the idea is that Belair got caught just like any professional fighter could be by an unexpected opponent who kind of cheats basically right at the bell. She is one of the few women who have been booked exceptionally well in WWE. And Friday, I just noted, I said, WWE, holy shit, they are all in on Bianca Belair. Now, while this didn't ruin that, she's still strong. They didn't bury her, okay? So get that out of your fucking heads. It did put a stain on everything they've done for Belair to this point. And what pisses me off even more, Chris, is that WWE had an out. They had a way to do this without beating Bianca Belair because they had brought Carmella to the ring. All they had to do was instead of a singles match, do a triple threat booking with Lynch pushing Belair into the ring post and the steel steps, hitting the exact same move on Mella and getting the win if they wanted in 27 seconds. It would have protected Belair, gotten the title on Becky, and given you the same booking effectively. It's an absolute no-brainer, and it makes no sense why they just didn't do that. So ultimately, the return was incredible, but the booking was absolute mind-numbing shit. Why would you ever beat, I don't care how strong she is, why would you ever beat Bianca Belair in 27 seconds like this? WWE just cannot get out of its own way. Yep, that, that's exactly what it is. They got they got two over themselves. I think CM Punk actually used the, the phrase stepping on your dick or something like that the, the night before. It's essentially what it was. They set this thing up great, and then they blew it. And... <laughs> And it's like, if Becky Lynch cannot do a full match yet, then she shouldn't be your champion. If she is the champion, that tells me that they can. And if she can, you look at all the other crap that happened in this show, and you can't tell me there was no time to do it. You didn't need to do the whole Carmella thing. That The celebration for Becky lasted about 10 times as long as the match did. So that was nonsense it it was it's we'll get we'll get to the other women's match but when that happened and you thought about the way the two women's championships had been won had most recently changed hands think about how much that devalues the belt to have a cash in the night after a win and then the 27 second turn like that doesn't that makes the belts look bad now as as it relates to bianca so a lot of people on twitter no, most notably kind of big AEW stands that saying this is Kofi Kingston over again. This is not, it is not Kofi Kingston again. 
it was the, the, again they just built her up the night before to look like a star they know she is a star and they're going to keep treating her like a star and they kept showing her shocked face the problem was and actually cole and this is a uh, against cole and mcafee here they needed to emphasize that bianca got surprised not yes. that becky showed up Right. But that Becky socked her when they when they started the fight. She got caught completely off guard and didn't know what was going on. That's how you sell it as a flukish loss for her. And she's going to be OK. And Bianca's going to be OK. But and this doesn't ruin what they've done for six months. They've done a great job with her for six months. She is becoming yes. a star. But. You just really didn't need to do this at all. There were a million other ways to do this. <laughs> like it's it would it would have been it's so hard to have screwed this up. And and that's what they did. And it was just it's 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 ridiculous. When they can do so many things well, <laughs> it becomes that much more baffling when they do when they miss these layups like this. Like I know she's on Raw, okay? But she lives in Las Vegas. They could have called Asuka and said, Hey Asuka, we're in a tight spot here. All right, go, can you go fight Bianca Belair? I don't care that it doesn't make Raw SmackDown brand sense. It's a huge match. The crowd would have popped for it. You know, they and, and like you said, look, Becky Lynch's return was not a response to CM Punk. It no. was a response to Sasha Banks not being in, able to perform in the top women's match on this card that was built up extremely strong, especially compared to the way the WrestleMania match was built. It was supposed to be a massive match, okay? That's why she came back. And no, it's not the Kofi Kingston booking because that was Kofi running head on into a freight train and legitimately getting squashed. This was goody two shoes Bianca Belair, you know, thinking that she could shake a hand and get away with it. And Becky Lynch being the smart, cunning veteran, socking her and taking it. Now, again, that doesn't mean it's a good booking. It's not. It's a piece of shit, but -hmm. it's not the same. And by the way, I'm going to say this. Hopefully you guys understand from listening to this podcast for a very long time, um, how much I support black wrestlers in WWE. I, I hope it, it comes across more than the vast majority of people. This was not a race thing either. Just because Kofi Kingston's black and Bianca Belair is black and a similar type of booking happened doesn't mean it's how WWE is treating their black champions. It's just it, not, okay? It, this it, was a it, very it, unique yeah. situation and a very shitty booking that had nothing to do with the color of her skin, when they're putting her front and center at the ESPYs. And, you know, and and in fact, in the promo to the match, mentioned how it was the, you know, WrestleMania main event, the first women's WrestleMania main event, or second, I'm sorry, um, with two black women. The first one ever with two black women. So they went far and beyond to say, we support this. And, And WWE actually has done a very good job with their diversity recently, you know, especially more than, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, But to conflate all of that together, no, that's just not true. This was just shitty booking. It was really fucking bad booking. That's what it was. Yeah, I I agree. It wasn't, I don't know, either either of them were racing, but WWE also should have realized the comparisons that would have come up. Absolutely should have realized that. And it's it's a complete mistake on their part to miss it because there, there are a lot of, instances where they do something that's a big deal and they want a lot of credit for it and then they don't put the work in afterward but that's not true here because they have done a great job with bianca for the last six months and she's gonna be fine but it's it, 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 they really dropped the ball here in a lot of ways 
And it, it's it's pretty disgraceful the way that they planned this and did this. And even if they even if it wasn't because of the color of her skin, they need to be smarter than that. They absolutely need to be smarter than that, because even if it's not reality, it can still be perception. And yes. and that's what I think in many cases it and was. Given the, and, and given the history of wrestling, there's every reason to think that. Absolutely. Now, the last thing I want to say uh, at Camp Calhoun actually DM'd this to me uh, as I was writing my notes. But Becky Lynch was the biggest remaining chip that WWE had in its arsenal to make a big splash. They had two. And you and I actually mentioned this because someone, I'm forgetting yes. who, you, who asked the question, asked this on the uh, SummerSlam pre-show that we did live on Twitter Spaces. They said, if there's a huge return tonight, who is it going to be? And you and I, what did we say? We said Brock Lesnar and then Becky Lynch. Yes. And we said one of those two. And then I, I don't remember, did we say it could be both? I don't think we did. But I don't we, think we did. We said one of those two, those would be the yeah. two that WWE has. And we got both of them in one night. But knowing that Brock, not us knowing, but WWE knowing that Brock Lesnar was coming at the end of the night, they cashed in their Becky Lynch chip. And doing it at SummerSlam was a fine decision because they wanted to make this a really big show. And they had to make up for Sasha Banks not being there. But doing it in this way, they didn't even get a memorable moment out of it. Right. Like they literally had to try to book it this bad. Instead of going crazy about Becky Lynch returning, we're angry about the way she returned. That's how sad WWE is. This should be a moment of joy. I was so excited with that music. The fans were going crazy. Instead, they were completely let down at the end. As far as grading this, there's no grade. I think the return of Becky combined with the booking was a complete wash. Her return was an A. The booking was an F. The so problem, that's a the C. Problem, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, that's the thing. It didn't enhance the show and it didn't degrade the show. But I will tell you, Chris, for about 30 minutes after this ended, I was taken out of the pay-per-view. Yep. Yep. The problem is they think it's a big moment. Like the, the way they did it, they think it's, oh, someone returns and wins quickly. It's a shocking moment. Just like they think Nikki Ash winning the way she wanted the night after Money in the Bank was a shocking moment when when it's really a cheap moment. And and it, it's, it's a real shame. And one other thing about Bianca is the people who don't think WWE is doing a good job with her are the people who are not watching SmackDown every week. Agreed. Because they are they're doing a great job. If you turn in, if you tune in once a month or infrequently, and think they're not doing a good job with Bianca, then you're, you're not watching the show. You're 100% right. And then if that wasn't enough, the cherry on top of this shit Sunday that WWE created, as soon as they cut away from this, they showed the promotion for Blood Money in the Sand 6. Yep, it could yep. not have been timed any freaking worse. I will note later in the show, WWE announced they will return to Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas for Money in the Bank in July 2022. So they are doing a stadium show for Money in the Bank. That is crazy. And they're keeping it in July right next to SummerSlam, which is surprising when it's been in basically May most years yeah. up until this year. So Yeah, and, and one other thing, that, that commercial for Blood Money in the Sand, they said they, I think they said something like, back to the place that brings out the best for the world to see. That was just, that kind of propaganda is Oh, it was horrible. It's, it's disgusting. And by the way, every show there that WWE's put on has been terrible. Like, I'm not Sound exaggerating. Not, yeah, they have. But also, based on reports there, everybody booed when they played that commercial. Oh, I, I don't blame them at all. And I'm you guys know I'm with them. Like, 
F that shit. Is okay. Uh, yep. Okay, let's move on. Got a lot more to talk about. We're going to go through most of it quick. Those were the three things we really needed to nail. Raw Women's Championship, Nikki Ash versus Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley. JB at JBrax1122. He noted that Charlotte had a Thanos-inspired robe, which I had not noticed. It had all hmm. the Infinity Stones on the collar. That was really cool. This was a fast-paced triple threat. Nikki countered Riptide into a press slam. Flair booted Ripley off the ring apron. And then there was a great German suplex fallaway slam combo move with Ripley taking out both Nikki and Flair. Charlotte countered a delayed vertical suplex with a double DDT. The crowd popped massively for it and for her. Flair then delivered an insane corkscrew from the top rope outside, absolutely drilling both women. It was the exact opposite of what she normally does, which is a moonsault that totally misses. This was she, she did a corkscrew and killed two people. Uh, Ripley locked her in the prism trap, but Flair countered it into a figure eight that almost resulted in a submission until Nikki broke it with a splash. She then hit Charlotte with her swinging neckbreaker, but Ripley broke that fall. Nikki countered Riptide into a DDT, but Flair dodged a splash and locked in the figure eight. Nikki dragged Charlotte halfway to the ropes, tried really, really hard, but ultimately tapped out, which seemed to be what the crowd wanted. Despite Flair being a heel, they cheered for her the entire match. Now we can talk about the booking decision in a minute, but Chris, this match was fantastic. All three of the women were great. Flair showed out in a major way. This is her best match since she returned, like when she had that surgery and then she came back and she was really like uh, robotic and wasn't wrestling really well. This was her, her best match by far since then. I went 4.25 stars and an A for this. It totally exceeded my expectations. You could maybe even convince me to go a little bit higher because the crowd was so hot. But this was the surprise of the entire show. I agree with that. Great. And it's the same thing that happened a month ago at Money in the Bank when Charlotte and Rhea start off and people aren't really into it. They're chanting, we want Becky. Charlotte gives them a crotch chop and flips out and puts on a hell of a match with Rhea. Charlotte is really good at professional wrestling. And so so are Nikki and Rhea, but it really says, I think it really says where Rhea and Nikki are as characters that both times people were cheering for Charlotte at the end because I think there's just really an appreciation there. Um, and actually the Thanos thing, I didn't even put it together. I didn't think of it with the gear but she had tweeted and posted on Instagram before the, the show, uh, dread it, run from it, destiny arrives all the same, which is a Thanos quote from Infinity War. And then after winning, uh, she tweeted a picture of herself holding the belt and says, I am inevitable, which is a right. line from which is a line from Endgame. So love it. Charlotte's been killing it. She should not have lost the title the way she did. The, la- the, the past month has been weird. But Charlotte's great, and it's a great way to do it. This has to be a long run now. She cannot keep losing this belt every couple of months. Yes. When she's when she's a character that is all about holding the belt. And this also completed the circle of telling the Nikki Ash story completely backwards. Well, that's <laughs> we what I was going to say. So we, yeah. we go from Nikki winning it to Nikki saying she needs to prove herself to winning to losing. And then she lost. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, so yeah. when it comes to the booking of the entire, like the match was great, period, right? <laughs> now, next step, let's talk about the booking. It's exactly what I was afraid of. The Money in the Bank briefcase was made irrelevant after one night when she cashed yep. it in. And now the title reign that resulted from the cash-in lasted only one month. So there's no Money in the Bank gimmick. Nikki no longer has the elevation of being champion. And nope. the entire thing was all for naught. Now, Nikki was literally 
a transitional champion between Charlotte and Charlotte. <laughs> I don't think I've yeah. ever seen that happen before. <laughs> That's just wild, right? Um, now, maybe the booking now is what we thought it was going to be. Nikki scratches and claws without the briefcase, finally gets another shot a few months down the line and beats Charlotte. And if that's what happens, okay, I could see that working. But that doesn't change the fact that they bungled the entire storyline and they did it backwards. They, you know, probably Liv Morgan would have been a better person to win Money in the Bank. And with Nikki Ash, you know, being close to it, because she already had the storyline. Yep, Liv was more over at the time. She was way more over. And Nikki already had the storyline going with Charlotte and Rhea where she'd beaten them and, you know, those stupid beat the clock matches and all that shit. So I just, they they bungled the entire thing. Nikki's character, which had a chance, I thought, and I still think to be something, it's, she just tapped out and she proved that she can't beat her. And there's no one else on Raw to challenge Charlotte except for Rhea Ripley and Nikki right now and Asuka eventually when she comes back. So I don't know how they move on from this. So again, the match was great. It really was. But the booking, yikes. Like, I guess we'll have to see how it plays out and give it a shot. But man, I just didn't love it. Yeah, if you only watch WWE pay-per-views and don't watch the TV show, you probably think everything's pretty great. <laughs> you, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Okay, so let's move on. The WWE Championship was on the line. Bobby Lashley versus Goldberg. Oh, boy. Big meaty man slapping me. Now, I play that because it was indeed big, meaty men slapping meat. We normally play it when something's incredible, but it can be true even when something's not incredible. Look, Goldberg is the source of this quote. Uh, It's what Biggie was talking about. He wants to bump meat with Goldberg. Bobby Lashley got to do it instead. That's okay. Uh, You know, coming into this, we didn't like the booking. We didn't like that the match was happening. We didn't like Goldberg getting a title shot. So the match starts. Goldberg blocked a shoulder tackle and hit a flying shoulder of his own. He slammed Lashley twice. The fans started booing. Lashley and Goldberg blocked each other and Lashley hit a flatliner. Then he went to the top rope, strangely. Goldberg threw him off as fans booed again. MVP saved Lashley from a spear and there were cheers, but Goldberg speared the champion outside. MVP then hit Goldberg in the knee with his cane. Goldberg barely sold it and Lashley then took his leg out. Lashley hit an almighty spinebuster but couldn't get the hurt lock in. So he took out Goldberg's leg a second time and did the helicopter thing into the ring post twice. Goldberg collapsed, selling his knee, and the referee called the match with an injury stoppage. Lashley grabbed a chair and hit the knee five times, and then Goldberg's son Gage ran in, jumped on Lashley's back, and immediately got flipped over his shoulders and submitted in like five seconds with the hurt lock, which I loved. I gotta say, that moment I loved, the crowd loved, it was pretty freaking awesome. Uh, MVP explained on the mic that Lashley didn't know who jumped him, so you can't blame him. And by the way, that's true. He didn't know, right? He just like acted. So that was good. Uh, But Goldberg then screamed that he would kill Lashley. So this match, Chris, it went 7-10, and it was easily Goldberg's longest match in two years. It was twice as long as I thought this match was going to go. I appreciated that they tried to have a match. And it was actually going well enough. If they had done the helicopter spins into throwing Goldberg in the ring, Lashley hitting a spear and getting the one, two, three, I would have come out of this saying, you know what? I didn't want this on the show, 
but they did a good job. I would have given them credit for it. Okay. But that's not what happened. Just as WWE did with Becky Lynch, the booking ruined something that was otherwise working. They gave us an injury stoppage in the co-main event of the second biggest pay-per-view of the year. And the only reason they did it was to set up a rematch that we know is going to happen, not at Extreme Rules next month, but at Blood Money in the Sand 6 in October. Even if you liked the finish on its own, let's make believe there's a world where you saw the injury stoppage and you said, you know what? I don't have a problem with that. The fact that they're going to do this match a second time when no one wanted it a first time is pathetic. And they'll probably change the title in Saudi Arabia, despite actual WWE fans tonight booing Goldberg and cheering Lashley because they didn't want Goldberg to win. If they change this title in Saudi Arabia, which based on the booking of this match, Chris, you have to believe they're going to do. Otherwise, Goldberg loses and he doesn't avenge his son getting, you know, completely choked out, not choked out, submitted in the hurt lock. Then the booking makes even less sense. I mean, I'm going to give these guys credit because they actually tried really hard for something that shouldn't have worked. I'm going to give it two stars and a C minus. That's being generous. The booking was garbage. I, I like that MV or, or was a commentary or MVP mentioned that that Goldberg's son is a high school sophomore. <laughs> so he's literally just beating up a kid out there, which is something. But yeah, if if. if in in any other situation, this could have been fine if they had played it out the way you said it. But first of all, you get no sparklers for the for the Goldberg entrance, and people are booing him from the very beginning. People are cheering Lashley for beating the crap out of him. How do you not look at that and realize that nobody wants this? Although apparently the only people who want it are the princes in, in Saudi Arabia, and we're going to give it to them. You want to set up Lashley Goldberg for just for Saudi Arabia? Fine. Don't have it as the co-main event of SummerSlam and then end it like that. It was it, it was something where they had actually put it, set it up in a way that it could have been fine and you move on. Like, like you said, if they have actually a match match and Lashley wins, all right, we're done with it and we move on. But instead, we're going to have to deal with this again. Lashley is floundering out there because he has nobody to work with because he did Drew and there is nobody on Raw at all that can work with him. He is, Lashley's been great, and he's been held down so much by the circumstances around him, and WWE is not doing him, WWE's not helping him with all this, and it will continue to not help him by continuing this with Goldberg. Yeah, it was just so disappointing that a match that I hated and did not want, I was being pleasantly surprised with something that was palatable. And then they say, you know what? F you. <laughs> like, you thought you thought we were hooking you up? Nah, nah, we're giving you exactly what you thought it was going to be. Like, it was actually worse than I thought it was going to be because I thought it would be a three-minute squash with Lashley winning. That was a total waste of time. Instead, I'm getting it again. <laughs> it's just, it's, incon- it's unconscionable. It's, it's really terrible, terrible booking. But... We'll move on. We got a lot more to talk about. It's just Raw sucks so much. And this being your main event picture tells you all you need to know. Yep. And it, it, and I really don't think we're far away from from 
dynamite catching raw in the ratings and and, and this is exactly why we're gonna know this week because we have the summer we have the raw after SummerSlam, which is generally a big show they don't yet have monday night football competition and we have dynamite with cm punk making his first appearance on dynamite so we're gonna have a really good handle on where these two shows are and how close they are and this is pre-daniel bryan going to aew pre-bray wyatt potentially going to aew there's talks they're going to add uh, Ruby Riot. I know that's not necessarily a needle mover, but it's still a name. And who knows what else they're going to do? Adam Cole could show up there, right? We're going to talk NXT Takeover 36 tomorrow. That meanwhile, is- meanwhile, you've got Lashley and Goldberg again, right? As, as, as leading your show, and Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns, which is exciting. Don't get me wrong, but it's repetitive and it's an old dude. Well, and it's it's on SmackDown. It is. I'm just saying and the WWE yeah. product as a whole. But yes, you're right. You have Lashley and that, and you have. Charlotte Flair is champion again, you know, so we're going to have, we're going to have a really good idea this week, Monday and Wednesday, how close Dynamite can get and then what the gap is both in demo and in overall rating. But it is different nights. It's different competition. Don't get me wrong, but still it's going to be very uh, indicative of what may come in the future. All right. A few more matches here. We're going to breeze through these as quick as we can. Raw Tag Team Championship, AJ Styles and Omos against RK-Bro. This opened the show with Riddle and Randy Orton, the first two entrances getting huge ovations. Orton flipped Riddle onto Styles early, but Omos quickly tagged in and dominated. Orton got the hot tag, hit the elevated DDT on Styles, but Omos made the save to stop an RKO and then chokeslammed Riddle on the ring apron. Styles then hit a moonsault, inverted DDT on Riddle off the ring apron, but Orton caught him with the RKO for a clean one, two, three, and the title change to a massive reaction from the crowd. They later cut an interview with Mario Lopez. Orton said bro, and Riddle said he had a surprise for Randy on Monday night. My only gripe was that Riddle did not factor into the finish and get put over by being the one to beat Styles for the titles. He's the younger guy. He's the guy who needs to be getting the push. We don't really need Orton pinning Styles anymore. Like Orton should be the veteran of the team. Riddle should be the flash. Other than that, This rocked. It was a perfect opener to the show. Having Riddle be the first person out tells you all you need to know about WWE being in on him. It was a perfect opener. I went 3.25 stars and a B just because it was too short at seven minutes. If this goes a little bit longer, it gets a better grade. Yep. Fun match. Perfect opener. I like that they did some teamwork moves, both Riddle and and Orton did and AJ and Omos. So, uh, yeah, what it means going forward, I don't know, but I'm looking forward to whatever Riddle surprises. So they set that up. So this was good. We had the SmackDown Tag Team Championships, the Usos against the Mysterios. Now, Ray and Jay fought Friday night on SmackDown. We knew that match was going to happen, but this was actually the first time they ever fought in their careers. Ray had a beautiful springboard moonsault, an awesome tornado DDT. The referee caught Dominic doing the same pinfall cheat that they've been doing. Ray was furious. Dom got ejected and Ray got blindsided into the steps. Jay hit the Uso splash for the win. I thought this was a perfect TV match. It was 15 minutes, exciting action, smart finish. I went 3.75 stars and a B plus for the SmackDown match. Then we go to SummerSlam and Ray again motivated Dominic before the match. The Mysterios hit two high spots early before Dom got pushed into the barricade and driven into the ring post. Dom had a hope spot, but Jay leveled him with an uppercut that was so loud on TV that Pat McAfee referenced Hadouken from Street Fighter. Uh, Ray got a tornado DDT after his hot tag, but he got caught with super kicks from both Jimmy and Jay, stereo super kicks. Ray kicked out of an Uso splash. 
but commentary didn't sell it well, given it's the Usos finisher that he kicked out of. Ray avoided a second Uso splash thanks to Dominic. He then landed the 619, but Jimmy countered the frog splash with double knees. The Usos then hit a double super kick, and Jay added an Uso splash to Ray for the win. I said stereo super kick in the wrong spot there. This was another banger by these guys on these teams, and I went with the same grade for this match that I did for the singles match on SmackDown. 3.75 stars and a B plus. It was total entertainment. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I mean, we got too many rematches or mix of these matches between Money in the Bank and this, but they're palatable because they're all fun and they're all a bit different. They do different things and, and these these teams work great together. So I was okay with it. And then leading in the match, you knew it was going to be a great match and it was. And honestly, it was a lot more Ray than I expected. He really, I think, carried that team. But this was the right result. It was exactly what we thought. Um, you know, I, I'm glad the Usos later came out with Roman as well to tie that back together. But uh, yeah, this was good. We had a United States Championship, Sheamus against Damian Priest in a very sneaky, meaty match. Priest had an awesome step-up springboard cannonball. He legitimately, I think, hurt his back on the fall outside. Sheamus ran him back first into the post, then he hit a backbreaker. The match was slow, and the crowd just was not into the first three quarters of it. Sheamus tried to manufacture heat. Priest got the crowd going a little bit with a Hurricanrana, Tornado DDT, and a roundhouse kick. He tried to hit old school, but Sheamus snapped his neck over the top rope, added a flying clothesline, Alabama slam, and a headbutt with his mask. Priest countered the bro kick with a spinning heel kick, then did South of Heaven for a near fall. Sheamus countered a springboard attempt with a flying knee for another near fall. Priest ripped Sheamus's mask off to escape a heel hook, dropped him headfirst into the turnbuckle, hit a roundhouse kick, and added the reckoning his finisher for the one, two, three to win the title. The crowd finally popped for the big finish and the title change. Perhaps, Chris, I liked this more than most people, but I thought it was a banger. Not everything is going to be a spot fest. WWE gave it plenty of time at 15 minutes and Priest got a big win in his first main roster title match at a huge event. He also got the rub from Tiffany Haddish backstage after the match. I went with the same grade I did for the, the SmackDown Tag Team Championship match. 3.75 stars and a B plus. If the crowd had gotten into it at all, it probably would have been in the four star range. This was a, a sneaky match on the show. And I really, really liked it. Yeah, I think this coming right after Eva Alexa kind of put everybody kind of in a weird mood. But no, this this is what it needed to be. Priest looked great. He gets the win. The the best part of this match were the kickouts. Sheamus and Priest both had several 2.99 kickouts. And that got the crowd into it at the end. The, the false finishes got him back in because the kickouts were so good. And like... They're, they're not something you think about, but they're that extra hundredth of a second makes all the difference in the world in whether or not you believe the finish is coming. And we, we talked about Roman's good kickouts in the main event. This match had great kickouts. Like, it's, it's a weird thing to highlight, but it really did. Also, that headbutt from Sheamus looked absolutely brutal. I hope they're both okay. Also, Tiffany Haddish called him the national champion. I like that. So here's the thing. When you are a United States champion like that, you are a national champion. Yeah, no, when, I, I like when you yeah, win. When you win the U.S. Open golf tournament, 
You are the national champion of golf. They call you that. So it's very appropriate. I know she probably fucked up when she said that. Like, I get it. But I liked it. I thought it was a great flip. I agree and think they should do more of that. I just don't think they did it on purpose. I also like that Mario Lopez said WWF early in the show too, or during. Well, yeah, he he said he was a WWE fan dating back to the WWF days. Yes, that was good. Acknowledge Acknowledge things that used to happen in the past were real and don't pretend they weren't. But I liked that. Like the little stars here and there, it made it feel like a big deal and they didn't jam them into the show itself. Like meaning in the ring, the ring announcer, like they used to do for WrestleMania or the timekeeper and all that type of shit. They just use them well. And I, I thought that was really smart that they did that. Um, all right, let's move on. Drew McIntyre against Jinder Mahal with Veer and Shanky barred from ringside. Honestly, guys, I paid no attention to this match because I was still reeling from the Becky Lynch stuff. McIntyre mm-hmm. seemed to win in like four minutes with a Claymore. Then he had to chase Veer and Shanky off again with his sword, which makes me think that this is continuing. This was irrelevant in terms of a grade because nothing happened. As I said before the show, this had absolutely no business being on a pay-per-view. This was a raw match. The fact that they couldn't even give it 10 minutes told you that. It was just pretty pathetic top to bottom. I don't even know if you have anything to say about it. That's how bad it was. The only thing I'll say is that commentary did a great job telling us a story about these two guys and their relationship that the past month did not tell us at all. It was like, this was the story to tell us. Oh, Jinder knows Drew better than anybody because they used to be together. They, they, they were friends for a long time. Like, that's the story. We only got sword crap for a month. So it was just like, why didn't you tell us? Like, my, I was changing the sheets of the bed at the time this match came on. And my wife actually started listening to commentary explaining that. And she like laughed at a little bit because it was, it was like kind of interesting. It was like, where was this for the last month? And and maybe they'll, if this is continuing, maybe they'll tell that story. Oh, it's definitely know, continuing. But, but it was just like it, it, that. That stuck. That was the only thing. Other thing that stuck out to me. This came. Yeah, like you said, it came right after Becky and after the Gable Stevenson stuff, which WWE's clearly we'll, we'll talk on about the that. charm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that 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 was people were dead coming into this match, and in the match in this match didn't help. It was terrible, and they're definitely doing a rematch at Extreme Rules. I swear if it's a sword versus sword match, which has a totally different connotation usually when you're talking about men in tights, um, it'll just be pathetic. Uh, they they got to get rid of the sword. They got to stop this feud. Oh my God, Raw, such, such shit. Such shit that we might as well continue talking about it with Alexa Bliss and Eva Marie. It was a good thing they got this out of the way in the second match. That's the best thing I can say about this. Eva got a shot on Bliss and then grabbed Lily, smacking the doll around. And then she took it and smacked Bliss with it. Bliss screamed, hit her flip sent on, then put Lily back on the ring post. The crowd was silent the entire time. Bliss had a drop to hold into the middle turnbuckle, but missed twisted Bliss and then won with a DDT. After the match, Dewdrop laughed at Eva and grabbed a mic. And she did the mock announcement that Eva's been doing. The winner is Eva Marie. She did, the loser is Eva Marie. She gave her the hand, five fingers to the face, and strutted off wearing Eva's robe. So this sucked as expected and it should have been on the kickoff show as we said about a dozen times, but it absolutely could have been worse. Like there are so many ways this actually could have been worse than it already was. The dewdrop stuff actually saved it, but I just don't have a feeling that they're going to have her break from her, take her name back, do the whole thing. I have a feeling that by the time Monday comes around, 
they're going to be back together again. And maybe Eva will respect her or I'm not exactly sure, but I went 1.75 stars and a D plus. Um, again, the wrestling wasn't terrible. Bliss did some okay stuff, but man, this was terrible and it was not a pay-per-view match. No, I mean, this it's not a this isn't a kickoff show match because this isn't a match that gets anybody excited. And, and that, that's what a kickoff match is supposed to do. It's supposed to be a low stakes, fun match. This was neither. Um, it's good to see Alexa had a ring gear back that she had a money bank. I wasn't sure if she was going to be back to that or not. It looks good and everything. I was curious if attacking Lily was going to like do anything to Alexa, but it really didn't. She just <laughs> screamed. So apparently right. Lily really does mean nothing. I mean, she wait. For a while, Alexa had these powers, these like telekinetic powers, and now she doesn't. I don't know. If you're going to bring that up, <laughs> use it. You have to keep using it. You can't just go away with it. I, I don't know. Yeah, why wouldn't you knock what? out Eva, hypnotize Dewdrop into like screwing with her somehow, right? Yeah, Distracting like, her. And then it's just, it's all convoluted. It's really it, it, And it's so, it's, it's so, la- it's so lazy. Like it, like. Fiend stuff, you know, like it or don't like it. They generally like tried stuff. The the Alexa is just like, is it, it, she's doing the best she can. This is not on her. But the booking for Alexa is largely, well, let's do Bray stuff, but like as lazily as possible. Even if you hated the Fiend, the Firefly Funhouse was awesome. Yep. Alexa's playground is garbage. And yep. this character is garbage. So, and the reason we liked it at first was because it was with Bray Wyatt and the Fiend and it was going somewhere. They had a relationship. It was helping both of them. Then they fired Bray. So there's not even a redeeming quality for it, like down the line. It's just dead. They got to figure out a way to get her out of this. And you know what? Take Nikki Ash. She's a loser now that's no longer champion. Figure out a way for her to get Alexa Bliss back. They're best friends. Reunite them as a tag team. Let them do that again. Like that is such a better booking than what they're currently doing with both of them. They just got to move on and we have to move on. Uh, on the kickoff show, we did get a surprise match we were not expecting. Biggie against Baron Corbin on SmackDown. Kevin Owens fought Baron Corbin. Corbin gripped the Money in the Bank briefcase like it was his precious. That's probably the only Lord of the Rings reference I will ever make on this show. KO hit a sent on off the ring apron. Corbin escaped a stunner. Biggie walked down. That forced a disqualification. Biggie got the briefcase momentarily, but Corbin pushed him into the post, regained the briefcase, and ran off. It was such an unnecessary DQ for someone in Corbin who's in a loser role and could have just been distracted and eaten a stunner. It also made KO completely irrelevant in the entire thing, but it did technically set up the kickoff show match. So we got the match. WWE had a TikTok announcer contest and the girl who won it did a surprisingly good job for a first time. He did a really good job. Yeah, Yeah. shout out to her, okay? Uh, Biggie missed a splash on the ring apron and got thrown into the ring post three times. He then caught Corbin in the stretch muffler but Corbin escaped and came back with a deep six for a near fall. Corbin kept trying to steal the Money in the Bank briefcase, but Biggie pounced his ass into the barricade, then speared him through the ropes outside and hit the big ending for the one, two, three to get a huge ovation from the crowd. Biggie then regained the briefcase officially. This was about a three-star B-minus type of match. It did a good job getting the crowd amped and it got some good time in the ring. So it was a success. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this is what you want from a kickoff show, a low stakes, fun match. That's what they got. I tell you, you talking back to I, I had honestly forgotten the Kevin Owens thing on SmackDown. That was last night. That's why we bring it up. That's it, why we cover and, it. And, but it also goes to show how the hell did you not have Kevin Owens on this show? I mean, we, we got we got Alexa and Eva. We got we got 
Corbin on the show. Just the fact that you couldn't not. I mean, we had no New Day and we had no Kevin Owens. Those are two of the five most over. We technically had two of the three members of New Day. We got we got we got the Xavier thing, which doesn't count and we'll get to it. But to not have I mean, like in a match or something like to not Kevin Owens is. Again, when I was, I was at Money in the Bank, he got a bigger pop than everybody except for John Cena's surprise return. This guy is big. In it, it, ridiculous to not have him in a feud right now. They could have done a multi-brand battle royal on the kickoff show. That show puts all these people in the ring. You get to hear their entrances. You get to see them. You get to pop for them. Instead, they just didn't do anything like that. And they could have. So it was disappointing. Um, but okay, a couple more things. Uh, WWE did let Rick Boogs do a musical interlude and a full dancing celebration with Shinsuke Nakamura and Pat McAfee for the Intercontinental Champion to not be on SummerSlam was something that really disappointed me. Mm-hmm. And I actually thought that this was a really smart, unique way to get him on the show, get him a pop, and ensure Nakamura was at the second biggest event of the year without having a match. So Chris, I gave two thumbs up for this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's weird if you think about it too much, but just... Something for people to be excited about. I get it. But it's more of an indictment of you not having him on the card in the first place that you felt like he's so popular. This thing is so over that you got to just do it. But we're so inept that we don't have a match lined up for him. It was the only championship except for the women's tag team championship and the 24-7 one, which doesn't count. Um, But even the women, you know, Natalia was injured up until Friday. It was really the only championship that could have been booked for the show. That just wasn't. And they just did a title change two weeks ago on SmackDown that they could have saved for this pay-per-view like, and, and done the Alexa Bliss and Drew McIntyre shit on Raw. They didn't have to do it. So like just it like just do Nakamura Kevin Owens on the kickoff show and just let him have an awesome match with no stakes and maybe yeah. someone wins, maybe do a smash finish. I don't know. But like yeah, it's ridiculous. That they, they felt that they had to have Boogs on there, but they couldn't they they, they couldn't they didn't plan it right to have a, a match to actually do something with. So WWE also introduced Tamara uh, Mensa-Stock and Gable Stevenson, our, as in the United States, Olympic gold medal winning wrestlers from Tokyo. They got a huge reaction from the crowd, but the segment went on like twice as long as it needed to because the walkway was just so damn long. And because there wasn't a stage, if there was a stage, they could have stood on the stage. Since they had to get to the ring, they had to walk the whole time, get in the ring. It was just really strange, but they did get a pop from the crowd. They got cheered. I thought the way it was going that like Triple H was going to come out and present them contracts or announce that they signed or something like that. But that did not happen. However, both of them being there, I do think is a really good sign, hopefully, that they are both signed in the future. Well, Gable Steven is making no bones about it that he is more than happy to let people bid for his services absolutely wwe clearly wants him ufc wants him dana white told tmz that they were going to meet while he's in vegas and he also has the option to go back to minnesota and can make sponsorship money with the new rules in college so he has a lot of options and the char uh, the charm offensive is on and he knows it. he tweet he's been tweeting at Vince McMahon. He's been tweeting at Dana White. He knows how to play this and he is going to get the most out of it. So good he's, for him. He's doing a very good job at it. I have to say there's not a million people where you say WWE has to sign them. WWE has to sign Gable Stevenson. They do. Yes. He is perhaps not the next Kurt Angle because he's a different type of dude, but he has that charisma and personality. You know, he can wrestle obviously collegiately. Yep. The talent is there. 
break the bank. You just released like 100 people in the last two years. Hire Gable Stevenson and pay him what he commands. It's it's going to be worth it if you do. He can do uh, a backflip too. He can do everything. It's awesome. Yes. Uh, there was another interlude. The last thing we'll talk about with Miz and Morrison in the ring. They had driven a water truck into the stadium earlier during the kickoff show. Then Xavier Woods shows up dressed like Scott Hall. And he does the whole WCW, uh, hey yo, uh, taking a pull of the crowd gimmick. Uh, he called them dry bronies instead of jub bronies, which I thought was funny. And then he sprayed them down with this water gun. The crowd didn't sound like they liked it or even recognized what Woods was doing. It was just completely unnecessary given the length of the show and how late it came. The other two interludes that we just mentioned were much better. This fell massively flat, but I also have a feeling that Xavier Woods loved doing it. Oh, yeah. I I mean, like I said, this was an attempt to get the New Day on the show in some form. But like you said, how many wrestling fans really know about the survey that Scott Hall did? Like... Not like, people I know there, of, but I mean, I did, but and yes. I, I, I did too, but like, they they like to talk about NWO, and, but they only talk about certain things, and the survey is not typically something that comes up when they talk about it, and it's not something you really promote, so it was a little bit weird. They did build it earlier in the, in the kickoff show when they showed them arrive, and once again, we got John Morrison talking, saying that a stadium full of people were hurting for a squirting, <laughs> and... That was actually kind of funny, but I actually didn't think the Xavier stuff was funny because I thought something more was going to come of it. And then it was just like, oh, he's spraying water at them. I guess that's what this whole gimmick is. All right. And it, it, it again, anytime there was stuff like this, you couldn't think, help but think back to they cut out. They they chose not to have time for Becky and Bianca so that they could do stuff like this. And it, it really still hovered over everything that was not a match. I wouldn't so much say they didn't save time for that because that was just poor booking but they didn't give extra time to rk bro and they didn't give it to you know other matches no, 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 possibly it, used. it was 27 seconds this like i said the celebration of her yeah but that like booking wouldn't have changed plus. if they didn't have the xavier Woods i'm just saying the, the 27 seconds part is the part that was terrible to a lot of people and anytime you had stuff that was not a match you're thinking they they they, they didn't want to have a full match and instead they're going to give us something like this for sure. Now, let's, with SummerSlam out of the way, we just broke down everything that happened on the show. Let's get to our post-show grades. And Chris, before I get to those, what I want to say is what irks me the most about SummerSlam as a whole, we just broke it all down, right? There were so many legitimately great matches and exciting moments. And there were two massive returns on the show. This had the potential to be pay-per-view of the year for WWE given the surrounding elements of the entire thing. But two absolutely mind-numbing bookings, the Becky Lynch one far worse than the Goldberg-Lashley one, although that one was bad too. It deflated people, and it gave all of those quote-unquote fans who like to shit on WWE a ton of ammunition to do so, where if those things didn't happen, you would walk out of this pay-per-view and say, this was an A, WWE absolutely crushed it, possibly pay-per-view of the year, you'd be singing the praises. As I said earlier, it's like WWE can't get out of its own way and allow itself to do something like put on a perfect show. And let's not forget, Money in the Bank was awesome last month. We had some Mm -hmm. complaints, just like we always do, but it was a great show. So this had the potential, it fully had the potential to be an A pay-per-view. For me, it wasn't. 
For the fans, it wasn't either, because we're going to start with our listeners, and then you and I will give our grades. 20% of the respondents in the post-show poll did give this an A. 53% gave it a B, 21% gave it a C, and 6% gave it a D or an F. And normally, I throw out the D and F. I still think it's bullshit that anyone could say that was a D or an F show. I do too. Because- I'm, surpri- yeah. I'm surprised the DNF is not more just based on the Twitter talk I saw largely right. from, from AEW people. Well, I think because of, because a lot of things, everything that really sucked, really the Becky thing, following that, we had the Raw Women's Championship, we had Seth Rollins and Edge, and we had John Cena, Roman Reigns, and we have a we had a Lashley-Goldberg thing. The booking wasn't good, but the match wasn't as terrible as we thought it was going to be. So it did close exceptionally strong, but 73% of respondents were A or B. That's down 17% from the pre-show grade. Uh, The way I look at this, Chris, is you have 20% A, 21% C. Those cancel out. So you had 53% of respondents at a B, and the listeners said it's a B pay-per-view. I'm wondering what your final post-show grade is for this pay-per-view. So when you looked at this card and, and what it needed to be, you, there were a lot of matches we really weren't looking forward to. You just needed them to be serviceable. And we got that. That's what Damian Priest, Sheamus was. The, the women's triple throw was better than we thought. The tag match for the SmackDown Championship match was good. So we, we, we got that stuff. And then you need the big moments to hit. We got a big moment with Edge and Seth. It was great. We got a big moment with Ra, uh, Roman and Cena and Brock's return, and we got it. But there's just that other un- completely unnecessary stuff that took away from a lot of it. And this is what this is what I'm talking about. The, the Thunderdome era pay-per-views, they cut out the crap. They just gave you the good stuff. And that's why we loved every single pay-per-view, except for maybe Money in the Bank, during the pandemic. Now that we have a... This turned out to be an 11-match card, I think. And... The matches weren't bad, but it was just a lot of the other stuff around it that took away from it. So in the end, I had pre-show B+. I'm sitting here thinking B because on paper, it seemed like it was B-plus worthy. But as I just, how I'm feeling about it, I'm feeling a little less than that. I'm feeling a B. Yeah, it's really interesting because if you asked me... After the Becky Lynch thing, and I was really, I'm a huge Becky Lynch fan. I would have said, man, this is going to be like a C show because that was just so bad. It felt like it took everything down. And then the Drew McIntyre thing came after it. But the show closed exceptionally strong. If the entire pay-per-view, if this was an NXT takeover and the whole show was the final four matches on the card, you would call it an A show, period. You wouldn't even think twice about it, even with the Goldberg and Bobby Lashley booking. Because that singular thing could be excused by Rollins and Edge and Cena and Reigns and the Raw Women's Championship, all of which were good to great matches. But you have to take the show in its totality. And I think everything that was great, truly great, A+, was taken out by something that was truly bad. Mm -hmm. Everything else in between them was good, straight up. So yeah, I I could not go lower than a B minus because it was not a C pay-per-view given how many great things legitimately happened. We did ultimately get a Becky Lynch return. We did get a Brock Lesnar return. We got two truly great matches in the final three, not to mention the Raw Women's Championship, the Damian Priest match, 
Uh, the two tag team matches were both really exciting. So there was too much on the show for me for it to be an average show in that C range. B minus would be my floor. B plus would be my absolute ceiling. So I am, Chris, exactly where my pre-show expectation grade is. That's a little Barry Horowitz here. I'm at a B. And I think it's, that's consensus. Me, you, and the listeners all think it was a B show. Yeah. I mean, if you take out Alexa Bliss, Eva Marie, if you, if you do something different with the Becky thing, if you take out the water stuff, then... And let Lashley it, beat Goldberg one, two, Do three. a normal Lashley-Goldberg thing. Then it's an A show. Probably, then it's a... Yeah, B plus A minus show to me. It was yeah. just it was just completely unnecessarily just getting getting stuck in your own way and just tripping over yourself when you absolutely didn't need to. Everything was set up for this to be a perfectly fine show. They just had more time to do it and they had a big stadium, so they felt like they had to do some gimmicky stuff and and it all fell flat. I'll also note that the show was long as hell. Four hours yes. and ten minutes plus the kickoff show before that. I'm exhausted. Like Mm -hmm. if this had been a three hour show, my energy level would have been higher. Instead, I was exhausted watching the two best matches on the entire card after 11 p.m. So they got to I mean, I don't know what the hell happened. I don't know why the card was so big. If they had trimmed down that card, it would have hit so much better. You didn't need Drew. You didn't need Alexa. And really, honestly, if you pull those two matches, it's a much better show just based on that from time finishing up at 11.30 instead of 12.10. I mean, it's totally different. So, all right, look, we've talked a lot. We've broken down everything on WWE SummerSlam. We still have a lot to come here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. A reminder that on Sunday, we will be back 6.30 p.m. Eastern live on Twitter Spaces, NXT TakeOver 36 pre-show. It'll be a 30-minute show. It will end before the kickoff show begins on Peacock. And then as soon as NXT TakeOver 36 goes off the air Sunday night. We will have instant analysis of that show. We will have a podcast for you. So make sure if you are a first time listener, you subscribe to Getting Over wherever you're currently listening to it, but really on any platform or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you can find. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast so you can listen to that live show on Twitter Spaces and you can also participate in it. And do not forget what Getting Over is all about. So leave those five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts. Drop a review along with it. Let people know how much you love this show. Man, this was quite a night for SummerSlam. After these NXT shows on Sunday, we will be back on Tuesday with our next WWE episode. And then we will be back on Thursday talking all things NXT and AEW right here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I am absolutely exhausted. So, for Vintage Cristanini, this is the Silver King Adam Silverstein, and I'm leaving you with three final words. Bye for now. <laughs>